so what I'm going to um, open the introduction to my message today is going to be trying to understand something which I would like to call trajectory. Um, when we read the Bible, we can do what, what they would call a flat reading of the Bible, where you can just grab any scripture and yank it out and, you know, take it for what it says. Um, or we can understand that there is a trajectory in the scriptures. And trajectory means this. If I have a bow and arrow and I want to hit that oak tree that sits over there, I'm going to pull that back and shoot the arrow. And my goal is to hit that tree. But there are things that come into play. There's gravity, there's wind, there's, uh, you know, humidity in the air. There's all sorts of things that will affect the trajectory. And there is a certain trajectory. But the important thing is that we hit the tree, okay? And so in the scriptures, we, all through the Old Testament, um, and you know, the Bible, just to give you a little groundwork, was written over 1,600 years, okay? It took 1,600 years from the beginning until the last was penned by about 39 or 40 different authors in three languages, okay? All through all sorts of cultures, all sorts of governments, all sorts of upheaval and wars and captivities. And so what we have to understand is when that arrow was released in Genesis, or really before the foundation of the world, that the goal and the only goal was the revelation of God through Jesus Christ. That was the goal. That is the goal of the scriptures from the beginning to end. That is the goal. Jesus Christ, okay? So to help you understand a little bit more, we'll put it this way. Let's talk about a jigsaw puzzle, all right? When you have a jigsaw puzzle, we dump all the pieces out and we start looking at them. And, you know, we don't even, can't even understand what it is. And we might pull out this piece and pull out this piece over here, maybe get 10 pieces and put them together and say, aha, this is what is this puzzle is going to look like. And we tend to do that with the scriptures, okay? Oh, my gosh, Pastor Peggy, are you telling me the word of God is not infallible? No. But I want you to hear me because it, all of the... All of the years, all of the languages, all of these things have come together for one purpose, and that is to reveal Jesus Christ, okay? So, when we're putting this jigsaw puzzle together, and, you know, this one over here says, well, I have the eye, you know, or I have this, and it looks like, you know, it looks like a sword, and... and we think that we have the piece, but there's 999 other pieces that go along with it. But if we look at the picture on the front of the box, and in, in our Christian understanding, in all of the millennia that has gone on, the picture on the front of the box is the face of Jesus Christ. And the face of Jesus Christ is the face of God. You don't see God if you don't see Jesus. Okay? You don't see him. He is the express image of the person of God. So when we have these jigsaw puzzle pieces through the Old Testament, you know, and we have, you know, Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides, you know, and the deliverer, and we have the Lord of hosts, and all of these different ways that he's given us jigsaw pieces of who he is. It's all just the trajectory, bringing the revelation of when the Son of God made his appearance on the earth and said, I am the one. I am the express image of God. And so we're just going to look at a couple of scriptures to um, see that Jesus declared that. John 12, 14, uh, 12 uh, 45. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. sent me. Thank you. 
then he says to Philip, a couple chapters later, he's talking to Philip, and they're having a discussion about different things, and he said, Philip. He's like, oh, show us the Father, and then we'll be happy. Just show us the Father. He's like, Philip, have I been so long with you, and you still, you don't know me? He that's seen me has seen the Father. Well, does that mean that, you know, there's no Father? Of course not. There's a Father, but he's saying, I am the expression of God Almighty. I am the express image of his. He goes on to say in John 17 in his prayer, we're one. There's no separating us. He is the expression of God. And I'm going to take it a step further and say not only that, because our focus has got to be on him. On him. He takes it a step further and he says that he is the word of God. Now we call, we all have our Bibles in our phones now, but in mine's in here, so I'm just going to pretend this is my Bible. <laughs> but we have this, we call it our sword, we call it, you know, this is the word of God. Well, it is. But let me tell you something. This is subject to Jesus Christ, who is the living word of God. He is the living word of God. All right? And I'm going to prove it to you. He has an authority because he is the creator. The Bible says in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. He's the creator. He's the one. He it's not these words written in a book. He is the word of God. He is the one that has our affections. And when we, because when we take, if we take the scriptures and we take out a piece here and a piece here, like a jigsaw puzzle, we're trying to make our own picture, we can cobble together anything you want. I've been in the church a long time. 50 years. It's a long time. I used to try and hide it, but I ain't hiding it anymore. You get to a certain age, you're like, whatever. I can prove anything you want in the scripture. I can prove anything. Anything. Any doctrine, I've heard it. And that's why people get confused. But we got to look at the big picture. Because the big picture is him. And God's revelation of himself has been progressive throughout the scriptures. Okay? He, it was progressive as he revealed himself to the children of Israel. You know, he didn't have a name. Yahweh. I mean, he, they, he didn't have a name. And then Moses was like, well, who are you? What's your name? And he finally says, I am is my name. Well, that's not a name. But he was revealing himself bit by bit by bit. So Jesus comes on the scene and he is the word of God. Even in 1 John 5, it says that there's three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the word, and the spirit. Well, who's the word? It's the son of God. He's the word of God. And so we've read this scripture meant. I've read the scripture my whole life and never saw this until the other day. And I'm like, holy wow, wow. Let's see here. Hebrews 4. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. What? I thought you were talking about the Bible. It says the word of God. No. Yes, the word of God does that. The Bible does that. But I want for you to understand today, this is talking about Jesus. He's living. He's active. He's sharper. He pierces. He divides the soul and spirit. He speaks to us. His Holy Spirit convicts us. He's able to judge our thoughts and intentions. And no creature is hidden from his sight. The word of God manifested to mankind. People have never seen God till they see Jesus. And he is the word of God. Now, and, first, and, and I quoted this already, but in John, the very beginning of John, what does it say? In the beginning was what? Word. What? Word. Was the word. And the word was what? 
and the word was, was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In verse 14, and that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay? The very word of God. Now, you know, Jesus had a... <laughs> He had, he had quite the challenge when he came onto this earth. I mean, the name of this message is Grace, the Seismic Shift, okay? He, there was a shift that needed to take place of an old mindset. Now, he was God, so he was fully capable of it, and he had a plan on how he was going to begin that shift. So, let me just go back and make sure I didn't forget anything to say. Um... Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so he comes to the, Isra the people of Israel, and they, they have come through thousands of years, which you can read in the Old Testament, of war, of vengeance, of retribution. And now they are living under Roman oppression. Rome is is the government over their land and they are oppressed they are second class citizens and they are looking for the Messiah to come and deliver them they're not looking for what we know as Jesus they are looking for a warrior king that is going to come with the armies of heaven and, and kill the enemies and flatten the Romans and give them back their rightful place as the people of God so this is the scene that Jesus steps into alright and so, as we begin, he is, he comes on the scene, John baptizes him, he goes into the wilderness, goes through that 40 days of temptation, he comes out, he's in Galilee for a few days, but he heads to Nazareth, which is his hometown. And he goes into the synagogue, and we're going to read what happens. Came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book, and he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, what it doesn't say or what the casual reader might not realize in reading this amazing beginning of Jesus' ministry is that when he read this out of the prophet Isaiah, he stopped mid-sentence. He just stopped. And he rolled up the scroll and he handed it back. And that all everybody's eyes were on him. Because they're like, and... Say the next part. And he didn't. And then he began to speak to them, which we'll get to in a minute. But I want to look at the original in Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. The part that Jesus read when he opened the scroll. The Spirit of the Lord God's upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news, preach the gospel to the afflicted. He's sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, freedom to the prisoners to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And what? And what? I can't hear you. I don't know. Are you sleeping or what? To proclaim the day of vengeance. He didn't read it. He just stopped. And you're like, oh, what's a big deal? Oh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Because... The Jewish people, number one, are looking for vengeance against their enemies. They are looking for a, a king, a warrior that has come exact vengeance on, the, on their enemies and free them from oppression. 
They knew that scripture. They, they were holding out. This is a messianic prophecy. This is what we believe, and he's going to bring vengeance. He, and that's why every eye was fixed on him. They're like, next, come on. You know the rest. It's like us singing the Star Spangled Banner. And we sing... In the land of the free. No. <laughs> you know, you're at a baseball game, they get up, and that's how they end, you know, and everybody's like, in the home of the brave. That, it was like that, it was huge. And so, they're looking at each other, you know, they're looking at him, and then they say, hmm, they say, uh, what's the next? Let's go to the next, yes, no. Sorry, maybe I don't have it up there. Where it says, um, what's the next one? There should be one after that. Yes. And all the people, no, back up. Back up. Maybe like verse, no. I'll find it here, sorry. A little technical difficulties. Da-da-da. Okay. Yes. Okay. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words that were falling from his lips. So, so far, they're like, hmm, this is interesting. But then he starts to tell a story. And he starts to recount two stories in the Old Testament that I'm going to briefly tell you, and then you have to put it to the side because we're going to revisit it, okay? One of them is in 1 Kings 17, okay? This is during the time the Israelites, you know, they're a nation, and they've got all sorts of troubles with enemies and all of these things, and they have a famine in the land. And it's during the time of the prophet Elijah, and there's a great famine in the land, and Elijah got hungry, the prophet himself. And God said, okay, I'm going to send you up to a widow that lives up in Sidon in a place called Zarephath. It's up in Phoenicia. It's north of Israel. They're Gentiles. They are not Jewish people. They're not the chosen people, okay? They're not the chosen people of God. They're idol worshipers. They are excluded from the promises. And he said, I'm going to send you up there, and she's going to feed you. And so Elijah goes up there, and he sees her gathering sticks, and he says, hey, I'm hungry. Can you make me a cake? And she said, look, I only have a little flour and oil left, and I'm going to go home and make it, and my son and I are going to eat it and die. And he said, well, if you will make it for me first, then I, there will be enough for your son and you, and... The flour in, the, in your barrel will never run out, nor will the oil run dry until this famine is over. So she said, deal. And so she did that, and the word of the Lord was true to her, and she never ran out, okay? That's one story, so put that in your, you know, on your thumb drive. And then, in 2 Kings 5, there's another story, but this is with the prophet Elisha. Now, a man named Naaman came to him, and Naaman was a leper. And he heard that there was a prophet in the land of Israel. So he came to him and he said, can you help me? You know, the story goes on. The prophet says, go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. And so Naaman didn't really like that, but he did it anyway. And God healed him. Now, what I didn't tell you is that Naaman was the general of the Syrian army. And the Syrians were a constant thorn in the flesh of Israel. They were always attacking them. They were against the Israelites. And yet, God heals the general of the... We'd be like, hallelujah, God has struck down the enemy and delivered us. Right? And you're saying, yeah, I know, but there were times when he did. Ah, that's the jigsaw puzzle I'm talking about. But in this instance, God extends mercy to the enemy. Now, 
Now hold on. I'm making your brain cells work, so I hope you had your coffee. But biblical scholars call things like this subtexts. Implicit subtexts, which means it's flowing under the surface. That he's bringing light to your subconscious almost. That you don't even... That he's starting to shift their thinking from war and vengeance to a God of mercy and love and healing even to the enemy. Okay? So... I mean, this was the enemy, not just a Gentile. This isn't some poor widow woman, Gentile. This is the general of the army of the enemy, and God heals him. So, that being said, let's go back to Jesus has just said, in fact, before we go there, Jesus said, I'm declaring the favorable year of the Lord. Then he rolls it up, right? He doesn't say in the year of vengeance of our God. And I just want to say this, that, well, no, I won't say that. Let's go on. He just gets run, yes, I'm going to say that. <laughs> you have to stay with me because this is a teaching that you got to really, okay? But I'm taking you somewhere. When Jesus said, I'm declaring the favorable year of the Lord, that also another translation, the acceptable year of the Lord. That is a synonym for a time they called Jubilee. Okay? It was a time in Israel's history where God, it was every 50 years, the Jubilee, the acceptable year of the Lord, the favorable year of the Lord. And Jubilee was when all of the slaves were released, those that were indentured servants. What? Yes. All the, the indentured servants were released. All debts were forgiven and canceled. Land was returned to its original owners. And everyone had rest. It was a time of amnesty. It was a time of, of restoration. It was a time of deliverance. Every 50 years, okay? It was a Sabbath of Sabbaths, like seven years was the Sabbath year, and then seven times seven was the Sabbath of Sabbaths, which is 49, and then 50. Okay, you got me anyway. 50 years is the year of Jubilee. It was a great year for Israel, but it was just a little flashlight beam down the corridors of history, lighting up the one who would come that day in that synagogue and read that scripture and say, today... This scripture is fulfilled in your healing. I am Jubilee. I am the favor of God. I am, this time has come to you where you will be delivered. Your debts will be canceled. Your sins will be canceled. You will be healed and restored. Now, right after he said that, we'll go to verse 25. Now, I mean, he didn't even take a breath. Everybody is sitting there with their eyes fixed on him. Like, where are we going, Jackson? But I say to you in truth. No, please. He's just starting his ministry, okay? He just read out of the scroll of Isaiah. There's a lot of things he could say out of the Old Testament. Some of David's songs, you know. There's so much he could be quoting here, Jesus. But he chooses this. I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. And when the sky was shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And furthermore, he says, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Hmm. Let's just say the atmosphere was tense. It's like some of the political rallies we have in this country. Tense. It's very tense. And what happened? All the people in the synagogue were what? Filled with rage as they heard these things. Why? 
Why were they filled with rage? Huh? Thank you. They wanted vengeance. Because they were taught throughout their history, they had so many enemies. They were this little tiny group of people. They had lots of enemies. So there was much war. And in that culture, and, and during the Bronze Age, it was war, it was bloodshed, it was retribution, it was vengeance. So they wanted vengeance. Their king was going to come and deliver them with vengeance, with blood, but not the kind of blood that Jesus came with. And so they became enraged. You know, at first they were like, oh, his words are so gracious, aren't they nice? But now he's saying to them, well, first of all, he took a big, big black um, Sharpie and just drew it right through vengeance of our God. He just drew right through it. Boom. They're like, that's my pet scripture. I've been waiting for this my whole life. My grandfather was waiting for it. My great-grandfather was waiting for it. And then, not only are you not bringing vengeance, but now you're trying to say this is open to everybody? You're trying to say that the God of Israel, we are his chosen people. We are the ones. I have the eye of the puzzles. That My jigsaw piece has the eye. I've got the corner on God. And he's saying, no, no. It's open to your enemies. The exclusivity of that is gone. And now it's inclusive to everyone. Israel wasn't buying it. And they were like, we are getting rid of you. I don't know who you are, but you are not going to talk in our temple anymore. You're not going to sow this kind of heresy. And so they were filled with rage. They got up drove him out of the city, led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built in order to throw him down off the cliff. Now, I would just like to declare to you today that our preconceived ideas when it comes to... Hmm, no, let me rephrase that. Just as God has been on a progression of revealing himself, we are in that progression of understanding him. Okay? We're all on that journey. And the church has been on that journey. And I love the church. Like I said, I've been in a long time. It's the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. I love the church. But the church has been on sometimes a very painful journey of understanding how massive God's love is. And how he is a God of peace and love. Extravagant love. And, but religion doesn't buy it, okay? Religion and the church are two different things. Now religion can seep into the church, but, but the living, breathing body of Christ is that city sit on a hill set on a hill that brings light to all around. When we let religion creep in, then it dims our light, you know? But the, the, when we have to reject those things, just like they did, when they heard Jesus saying, it's not vengeance anymore. I'm bringing the favorable year of the Lord. I am the year of Jubilee, and it's for everyone. Religion doesn't want to hear that. Religion loves groups. Loves it. I remember years ago when my husband and I founded this church, we had, we had a, you know, interesting group, like we always have had. And we had a guy that, uh, he was just using drugs, you know, probably the night before, I don't know. And he was um, a guitar player and a singer. And we got him up to play and sing. And... There were some people that were so offended by that. Well, he's not prepared. Has he been through your foundations class yet? Has he prayed the sinner's prayer? Did he get baptized yet? Did you hear him speak in tongues? You know, the whole thing. And we were like, what? Why can't, can't he just play his guitar for Jesus? Is there something in the Bible against that? Right? 
because religion can be ugly and draw all these lines. And Jesus is like, whosoever will, let them come. Whosoever will, I am Jubilee. I am the one that declares life and more abundantly. Don't shut the door. He said to the Pharisees, you shut the door so men can't get in. I don't want to ever, 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 ever be a door shutter. Right? We want to open the door. Open the door in, in the very likeness of Christ who flung those doors open wide. But they, they didn't like it, so they took him up and were going to throw him off the cliff, but he managed to do a little magic trick. And <laughs> Scripture says he just boop, passed right through him. He probably went invisible. I don't know. Did a little, you know. You know. So I so I want to say to you that if we try to hold on to a divine warrant for vengeance, we lose Jesus. Right? If we try to hold on to a, a a judgmental mindset. We lose him. And you know, Pastor Dan and different ones were always trying to, we're talking about this beautiful message of grace that he brought, this jubilee. And then, you know, people get all nervous because they're like, oh my gosh. You know, people are going to sin now because there's all this grace. And, and you know, and we're always saying, yeah, but if you fall in love with Jesus, you're going to do fine. And But there was a sister sitting here during first service, and she quoted the scripture, and I thought that perfect. But the scripture says that when we see Jesus, we know that when we see him, we will see him as he is. And when we see him, we'll be like him. And you see, when we declare to you who he is, that he's this magnificent God wrapped in flesh that came, you become, when you start to see him, you become like him. You're not, you don't have to follow a set of rules anymore and beat yourself up if you, when you think, oh, I should have done this and why did I say that? And just, we keep our focus on him and we become transformed. Our lives, our thinking becomes transformed. We're healed and, and saved and, and delivered and we're kept, you know, he keeps us. And, um, Jesus, so Jesus steps into this time period and begins this shift. And all of these, um, all of these things that go on in the Old Testament, there's war and there's bloodshed and there's all these things. But you have to understand that it was also during, it was that age. That's what was going on. And God was moving within that age, revealing himself piece by piece. But that was just part of the trajectory because the tree that we're shooting at, the goal in all of it was the revelation of Jesus Christ who was and is the year of Jubilee and everything that the world needs when it comes to light and love and peace and forgiveness. So, I want to, and I hope that, um, just trying to give you a foundation of how, how, this has come about and this gospel of grace. In fact, my husband and I were talking this morning through all the years that we've lived and we've seen different truths restored to the church. You know, I remember when the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and the great outpouring, the charismatic movement, and then there was the faith movement um, and the restoration of believing God's word and confessing the, the word of God. And, you know, and that was just years of emphasis on that. But today we are in a time of understanding the amazing grace of God. It's a new time for the church, and it's a time where we need to shine our light to, to a dark and dying world. I mean, the world is nuts. People are afraid. People are angry. People are, are fearful. And they need to hear the good news. And this is good news. 
he brought good news. So I'm gonna I'm gonna close today with and so yes, that's what I'm trying to say. So Jesus was making this seismic shift of grace. Of course, he ended up getting crucified over it, but uh, he still accomplished his purpose. But as uh, don't play the music quite yet, please. I'm not quite done. Almost. Because <laughs> uh, we're going to do communion afterwards, and I think they'll come up and sing a little. But um, as he's making this shift and trying to get this across to his disciples and to the people around about that he's speaking to, one of the things that happened, which um, is one of the most mysterious things, I believe, in the New Testament, which took me a long time. I didn't get it at all. And now I feel like I have some more understanding of it, and I'm going to give it to you. And this is for the time of his, what they call transfiguration. Anybody know about the transfiguration? You know, it's just kind of weird, and it's like, ooh. Okay, so let's understand what was happening here. <laughs> Scriptures. Gracias. Six days later... Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Well, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and don't be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. So let's break this down a little bit. This is completely, I mean, this happened, but it's also completely symbolic. And what we have here is we have Moses. Moses and Elijah just show up out of the Old Testament, okay? Now, Moses was known as the lawgiver. He's the one that wrote the Ten Commandments in the stone. So he is representative of the law, and Elisha was a prophet. So he's representative of the prophets. Now, back in the day, they didn't call um, that part, those, script, those books of the Bible, they didn't call it the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Bible. They called it the Law and the Prophets. Okay, that's their understanding. That's what it was, with a few songs of David thrown in, a song of Solomon. It was the law... The Pentateuch, the five first books of the Bible that we believe Moses wrote, and the prophets. So they show up out of the Old Testament, and they start to converse with Jesus. What do you think they were talking about? Hmm. Well, Jesus, we've done our part. It's time to hand off the baton. I mean, what were they talking about? What were they saying? And so that's symbolic of the law and the prophets standing there. Really, the Old Testament standing there with the new. Okay? And guess who's watching? The church. Peter, James, and John are representative of the church. In fact, six days prior to this, is the first time Jesus ever used the word church. And he said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. So there they are, watching this. And Peter, of course, it's Peter. <laughs> Open his mouth, insert foot, Peter. And he goes, he's so excited. He can't believe it. I mean, how would you feel? Oh, Lord, I'm so excited. Let's build three altars here. We'll do one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. It'll be awesome. But the, Bi the Bible says that we just read that while he was still speaking, 
God cut him off. I mean, if you're talking and God starts to talk, it pretty much cuts you off. I mean, you don't keep going, you know, like my granddaughter, Maddie, she's, you know, lives in a house that people like to talk. And so if she's trying to tell you something and you're going to talk anyway, she goes, and, 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 I mean, like, oh, and, 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 that's how she overrides you because she is going to tell you what she wants to say. Well, we don't do that with God. Peter's talking. He's got this great plan. And God says, shut up, Peter. <laughs> Basically. He's nicer, but, you know. He said, um, this is my son in whom I'm pleased. And then what does he say? Listen to him. Let's see the other two bozos. They were good. But you know what? Don't listen to them anymore. That's what he was saying. Listen to him. The baton has been passed. Listen to him. Sometimes the church is watching and doesn't get it right. Sometimes we don't get it right, you know. It's because we're on a journey. It's because we are learning and we are gaining understanding of who he is. But we have to get it right, church. We have to get it right. Jesus shone, and they didn't. The days of Moses and Elijah were over. Jesus shone. And then it says, when God said to Peter, eh, listen to him, they fell on their face. And when they, Jesus said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, who'd they see? Jesus. Only him. Only him. The arrow hit its mark. The arrow hit its mark. It's Jesus and him alone who has declared the grace and the goodness of God to a dying world. He is the face of God. He is the word of God. The word was with God and the word was God. And the word came and I declare to you today that as we take this journey together as a church and individually as believers, that we need to, everything must be in the light of his face and who he was, the friend of sinners. The one that said to the, you know, and I, I mean, I'm just going to cross the line here because I'm Pastor Dan's mother. <laughs> and I can cross it. You know, Jesus, they, they brought out the woman taken in adultery and they're quoting the Old Testament. You know, Moses said, the lawgiver said, she must be stoned. Jesus sat down, drew in the sand. I wonder what he drew. I wonder what he drew. But that's when he said, mm, he that's without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And then in Matthew 5, during the um, sermon on the, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, he kept saying things like, um, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, whoa, are you canceling out the law? What are you doing? And then he said, mm, and you've heard it said to love your neighbor but hate your enemies. But I say to you, and the same Jesus that took that big Sharpie marker and drew through the day of vengeance. Mm. So is it conflicting? But if we're thinking people, we have to say, well, then, what is it? It's a fulfillment. And see, when he said in Matthew 5, mm, yes, do not think that I came to abolish the Old Testament, because that's what that means. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill it. That word fulfill means to perfect and to complete.
See, it was a shadow before. It was just a mess of jigsaw puzzle pieces. But Jesus came and put it all together. And it is the face of the one we love and the face of our Savior. And so as we uh, close today, you can start handing out the, um, please, the communion. Um, I just wrote here at the end that Jesus is what the law and the prophets point towards and finally bow down to. He's what they were always trying to say, but could never fully articulate it. And that's why that Jesus said, um, you know, the Pharisees, the religious people were always testing him. And they said, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might and your neighbor as yourself. And then he went on to say, and on this hangs all the law and the prophets. This hangs all the Old Testament. What? But there was killing in the Old Testament, but there was retribution, but there was vengeance. He's like, it's a new day. Do you know how many Christian crusades were done in the name of God that massacred people? Do you know that, uh, and just speaking about trajectory, do you know that slavery um, was not even talked about or against? In the, it wasn't talked against in the Bible. Do you know that Paul's friend Onesimus was a runaway slave and the whole book of Philemon was Paul talking to Philemon about maybe setting him free but yet the son of man came bringing freedom and liberty to all and so this is what I'm talking about trajectory you know cultures and things that are going on and, and we think something's right because it's within our culture but if it does not reflect the face and the heart of Jesus we know today slavery's wrong we know today that it was a horrendous thing that a lot of it was done in the name of God because they cherry picked scriptures out of the out of the Bible to say this is right but if you hold up the light Another way to say it is this. The Bible talks about the lesser lights, the stars and the moon. And the lesser lights was the old was the prophet was the, the law and the prophets, the moon, the stars. But honey, let me tell you something. When the sun rises in the morning, when the sun comes up, when the Son of God made his entrance, and you don't see the stars when the sun is out. You can't see them. His light is dispelled across the entire universe. And anything held up in the light of his face, if it's not love and forgiveness and kindness, don't give it time of day. Don't dwell on it. I'm going to, I declare, Lord, I'm going to love. I'm going to love like you. I'm going to love unconditionally. And let you worry about the rest. So today we're going to celebrate uh, the arrival of Jubilee. The arrival of the favorable, the favorable time of God. And the new day and the shift that Jesus brought. When Moses and Elijah handed over the reins, said, we've done our part. And that night, Jesus took the bread, which was his body, representing his body that would be broken for them. And he said, it is my body broken for you. And take it and remember me. And when he... When his body was broken, it was for your healing. It was for my healing. And so let's take this together today and receive that from him.
took the cup and he said, this is, uh, this is representative of my blood that will be shed. It's the new covenant. As he was shifting their thinking over this three and a half years, telling them it's a new day and it's a new time. And he said, when you take it, remember me and remember what I did. So let's do this together. I just want to declare my um, parents have had the prophecy that this place is the city on a hill. And so when mom mentioned that, it just brought to my memory. And I just want to declare it together as a congregation. Because people have come here for years for healing. And I just see us shining even more in this community and across our state. And people coming and being equipped, not with swords and shields, but being equipped with the peace and the love and the joy of God. And they're gonna be warriors in that kingdom. Not warriors like we think of the Old Testament, but warriors with love. And so God, I just declare that the prophecy that you have given us, the promise that you've given us as a congregation, as your people in this community, we declare to be that city on the hill. We declare to have open gates. We declare, Lord, that any way, let them come. We say, God, we want to be like you. We see you. We take on who you are, God. And we open the gates wide. We will not be the door shutters, but we open wide and we will sit on the hill and say, let them come. Let each person be filled with peace and joy and love and they'll become a part of your kingdom and they'll be warriors in a way that you've asked us to be not with swords not with shields but with your love and your peace and your joy so we declare that we are becoming and continue to become the city on the hill I believe it so as you leave today, just focus on him, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, Isaiah said, and we fall in love with him with all of our heart, then it's easy, isn't it? It's easy to love, and we're going to do it. We've done it, we're going to do it, and we keep doing it, all right? All right, have a wonderful week. Bless you.